Hi, I'm Carly. And I'm Trey with New City Church. Welcome to our podcast series on faith and mental health. Each week we will unpack a topic relating to emotional or mental health and walking out a life of faith. The format will vary slightly from week to week from teaching, practical advice, conversation, interviews, and practices that we have found helpful in our own lives. So, let's jump on in. Hello, and welcome back to Season 2, Episode 5 of the podcast. Episode Cinco. We have a couple reminders. Well, one reminder, and then we're going to talk about the structure for the rest of the season real quick. One reminder, please don't forget the spaceman that is hidden in this episode somewhere. So if you're listening, just have a great time with yourself and watch on YouTube and look for the spaceman. (laughs) And the structure for the rest of the season, today we're going to introduce our second half topic, which is busyness. Um, And so today we're really going to delve into busyness and what scripture has to say about it and some trusted voices that we know of and their quotes about it. And we're just going to have a dialogue based on that. Um, And then we're going to go next week will be cultural relevance. The next episode will be um, the relevant practice, which this time will be Sabbath and a slowing lifestyle. And then we will have an interview for the last episode, which we don't know who that will be yet. So that will let you know more details about that once we know. Okay, so first of all, we're going to introduce the problem. And then we're going to kind of look into scripture's response to that. So I have several quotes here that we're going to chat through and just have a dialogue based on those things. So this first quote says, busyness is the sign of a disordered heart. And that is John Orkberg. Um, what do you think this means? Yeah, I, my yeah, my first thought was there are some people who are in situations where they are forced into busyness. So the disordered heart might not be their own. I think particularly of um, people who are uh, enslaved or people who are in forced labor or other things. So that there are very real cases where right. I, I think you can take a general wisdom principle like this and say, yeah. Um, But for a large percentage of people uh, and probably most people, if not all people listening to this podcast, I would say that seems to be an accurate thing that at least uh, what I think he's getting at here is that we go to things to fill some void that we have. Uh, St. Augustine uh, of Hippo had a quote um, in his uh, work confessions saying that our heart is restless until it rests in you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it may have been him as well, but I'm not 100% sure that said the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. And so this idea is that we often go to things to fill some need or void that we have. And so we relentlessly become busy as a way of like filling this void. And so we're busy because we're sad and we want to avoid our sadness. We're busy because we're bored and that makes us question our purpose. So we become busy. Um, So yeah, I think it definitely often is an example of a disordered heart that we're finding our worth in doing rather than being or other things. Yeah. I think along with that, just this idea of when you are busy, you have so many things on your plate that maybe you aren't prioritizing the things that are actually maybe in the correct order of things. And so um, there's plenty of distractions that keep us from doing that, maybe being as productive at work when you're 
constantly on Instagram or whatever the thing is that keeps you busy in those uh, realms. But um, yeah, I, I just think it's always important to go back and take inventory and take stock of what it is we're placing, like putting our limited time onto. And mm-hmm. um, because I think the disorderedness can come from just even not taking the time to do that. And so a lot of times we're spending times on things that we haven't even thought through. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's worth noting too. I mean, whenever you ask somebody, how are you doing? Oftentimes the answer is I'm good. Just busy. Mm -hmm. And I'm too busy for this, 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 or this. And sometimes that's true. And sometimes there's seasons for that. But like you said, like if we're really intellectually honest with ourselves and we take an inventory of how much time do you spend on your phone? How much time do you spend on Netflix? How much time do you fill in the blank with whatever it is? Are you as busy and not able to intentionally spend a good bit of your time as you think you are? Mm-hmm. And chances are for most of us, we're probably not as busy as we think. Mm-hmm. Or we are, but it's it's our own fault. At least right. part of it. Or we think that's something we're supposed to say. Also that, yeah, there's a pressure to be busy. Like, if I'm not busy, then I'm not productive. And if I'm not productive, then I'm not worthwhile. And if I'm not worthwhile, then what's the point? Right. Then am I fitting in or do I meet our cultural's Yeah, doing my own standard for me. Yeah. (laughs) Or, yeah. Um, What will my friends think if I'm bored all the time? Um, Yeah. Those kind of things as well. Um, okay. Anything else about that quote? Busyness is the sign of a disordered heart. Nope. Just yes. Okay. So the next thing that, um, I'm going to talk about is this idea of burnout because Trey and I were a part of this, um, speaking and teaching on burnout, particularly with pastors, but I thought what they said was very relevant to pretty much our generation and probably a lot of other ones as well. But um, so the millennials are the burnout generation and the highest potential for burnout is in careers full of meaning because you're looking to your job for purpose and meaning. So I think along with busyness, this idea of like burning out, which is different than just tiredness, um, is just something that's really a part of the problem and what we're seeing more and more. And I hear a lot of people say that word burnout. I'm just burnt out. I guess those are two words, but over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> so do you agree with this assessment? Yeah, so burnt out that you can't even separate them into two words when you use them I know. in certain ways. Yeah. Gosh. No, I'm just messing. Uh, yeah, I, I was talking with somebody the uh, other day about this this concept too and just like this idea of with with burnout uh, one of the ways that you might be able to tell your burnt out past different like just being tired is if you go and you take that break for whatever period of time in past like pastoral situations that often could be like a sabbatical or whatever and you come back in and it's the patterns that just contribute to that same pattern and you end up burnt or burning out again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what you need is not like just rest. What you need is a whole new system of operating in a way of being that transcends into the work. And so, yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's very 
yeah, accurate. And and I, I am curious. Uh, obviously, he was speaking to a room of pastors, but I am curious to hear like for people who their job is more just a job, uh, what that's like to. Which I think that's a valuable thing to do as well. Just have a job that's a job, and it makes sense to me, and it's fine, and you know the people there, and you try to love them well, but it's, um, I'm curious to know there, too, what burnout looks like there. Yeah, well, the, and I I can't speak for somebody like that, because I don't have that type of job, but they did say in this teaching that they're a lot less likely to burn out. Yeah, well, I think, I wonder if part of it, too, I mean, so one of the things in this teaching that they talked about, uh, that John Mark Comer talked about, was, uh, like, looking at our level of responsibility, control, and reward, Mm -hmm. Um, and talking about, he was talking particularly in pastoral ministry, but saying that at least like post-pandemic, there's a high, high level of responsibility, which is already there, but maybe even more so, Um, even lower levels of control, and even lower levels of reward than pre-pandemic, and so I wonder if too, like with jobs uh, that provide purpose or meaning whether things are going really well or really not your like level of stability is very extrinsic and very dependent upon circumstances mm-hmm. and when you're I mean at least in pastoral ministry like when your professional calling or job is tied in with your personal life and your spiritual life and emotional life and relational life and all those things are all mixed in together that also like the level of burnout is not just like my problems work, so I'm going to change jobs. My work friends are my friends, you know, or like um, this is also about my relationship with God. So like what do I do with all of that? And so I think with, um, you know, any sort of high purpose, a, a profession where you feel a high sense of purpose and meaning in, um, I think any sort of instability mm-hmm. in your job, whether that's like things aren't going well or things are going super well and whatever can lead to mm-hmm. burnout. Your reward isn't, you know, that has to be at a certain level to make it worth yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So however you see that reward, if it's financial, like you feel like you need to be paid more or, um, you know, maybe your job isn't as life giving to you anymore or, hmm. um, yeah, several of the professions mentioned were like teaching social work, Nonprofit work. Uh, were medical oh. professions mentioned? I'm trying to remember. I don't remember, but I'm sure there are plenty of people that find yeah. meaning and worth in that, in the helping of others. And so, um, yeah, so what do you think are some of the dangers of burnout? Yeah, I think, uh, one, what it does to your own soul and what it does to your soul of those, like how you begin treating other people around you going back to that Orper quote that like business is a sign of a disordered heart um and sometimes burnout like also happens because of the culture in which you're working like sometimes and we'll talk about this when we get into practice of sabbath and slowing but uh, sometimes in even high meaning high purpose professions like never taking a break always working taking a call at 1 a.m like regularly is praised and so that makes it all, I just want to make a point to say that makes it all the harder because we're formed with this need to be busy and productive. And like, that's not only like 
internal, that's external, and oftentimes in our places of employment. And so all of that kind of gets uh, tied in together. And so I, yeah, um, I think burnout, sometimes you, you might, it can manifest differently. Exhaustion, responding a little bit more angrily towards other people can be like belittling people for taking a break. Um, yeah, I think those are a couple examples. Sometimes anxiety, sometimes depression, sometimes, um, yeah, a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, yeah, some of the symptoms that were talked about with burnout was um, exhaustion, depersonalization, and you start looking at people as like something to solve rather than their, like seeing their humanity. And then um, just the cynicism and ineffectiveness that can start to settle in. Um, so I do think that those things can be dangerous. And mm. it's just, it's a really tough um, thing to pinpoint, I think. It's almost like, you know, the, it takes that internal work of knowing like, do I have fail-safes in place? Do I have life-giving things in place? And do I have enough mm. balance in my life to kind of avoid this pattern of burnout? Um, yeah, is that something that you feel like as a pastor you're able to do? Or how have you found ways to kind of counteract those things? Yeah, I think, I mean, we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks, but I think spiritual practices like Sabbath and slowing and other things are really important mm -hmm. to cultivate regular rhythms, not just like as a response to burnout, but more just like as part of the invitation to walk with Jesus is regular rhythms. And so like, I know for me, when we set out to like start a church, you just hear so many people talk about like how exhausting it is, hardest thing you ever do is, you know, the words that they use and like, you know, it's just a grind and all this stuff. And and there's, you know, a good bit of that that is, that is true. But also some of it is self-inflicted. Mm -hmm. If I'm, if I'm honest, uh, the hard part, at least in my experience, has been trying to be on the front end, like, all right, we want our people to have good rhythms in their walk with God, with other people to become who they're made to be. And so that also for me has meant like, okay, what does it mean for me to like, Friday at sundown to Saturday at sundown or what you know whatever time frame that is to not work and so that has like there's a lot of pressure to do more things there's always more things to do um, and it's more of a work in progress than it is like you know I've arrived and now I don't work and I don't think about work um, I cannot work and still struggle with thinking about work a lot um, if somebody texts me or I don't know literally anything yeah. um, comes up and so sort of you have to be really intentional about it. It doesn't happen by chance. I remember when I first started in like working, like paid in church, the two of the pastors at that church said, make sure that you guard your day off because if you don't like take your day off, like someone else will take it. Mm. Um, you have to like be intentional and be willing to like embrace your limitations. And um, yeah, sometimes that's, in theory it's like Sabbath that sounds awesome and it is but it's also like you have to like confront the parts of you that want to find your worth in what you do and that's not fun yeah on the front end yeah it's really deep identity work really yeah um and if you know that's a temptation of you like all the more reason to like 
really do it. Yeah. And I know that's a temptation for me. Yeah, I think along with those things, for me, I I think it's really important to find life outside of just New City Church or, mm-hmm. um, you know, this thing that we do that can very quickly become all-consuming because when you're a pastor, like, your friends are a part of what you do constantly and you rely on your friends and you, especially church planting, like, there's a lot of blurred lines, I guess. And so having friendships that are outside of that world, I think are important. I also think just finding other ways to rejuvenate spiritually, mm-hmm. emotionally, and physically for yourself are so important. Uh-huh. Um, because when you're pouring out constantly, uh, for you, like you don't want your spiritual life to become a place of scarcity because you're pouring mm-hmm. out constantly because we also need yeah. to be filled. And that has to be, I mean, that's dependent upon each person too, right? Like uh, for these practices of unhurrying or whatever, like for some people on Sabbath, like reading a nice like spiritual book is like really life-giving. But I'm assuming if anyone's listening, you probably know me somewhat. I love reading books that are like, spiritual or psychological and like thought provoking. And so I've over the past like couple of years, I guess, of like trying to take a, trying to be regimented in my Sabbath practice, like, okay, maybe I need to not read things that seem super spiritual outside of maybe like some Bible reading because I'm quickly, quickly, quickly going to turn this into something like productive yeah, um, or about ministry or whatever. So like, what are the things that I can do that, like don't contribute that at all to me. And now if you don't work in ministry, that might not be your thing, but, um, sure. I, I this think is it, our personal experience. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think all that to say, like with burnout and with busyness and with all this, like we just have to be mindful of what, it, what are the things that we're going to, to fill this void. And with burnout, I think often busyness in different ways can also become something that we go to fill this void. So like some people that could be a moral failure, that could be relationship, that could be, um, like drinking too much or, I mean, it could be a whole lot of things. Also could be binge watching um, just to be mindful of like, why mm-hmm. am I going to whatever this stuff is? And often it's numbing. And I think also just sometimes it's literally just limiting your conversations about like, it's so easy for your conversations to constantly go back to that workspace or that, Mm-hmm. the things that you're thinking about in your nine to five or whatever your work hours are. Um, and it's not bad to talk about those things, obviously, but when that becomes so consuming that like offline conversations with your spouse or a different friend or something, and that's like seemingly all you can talk about, that's when you start to realize like, okay, there's something in me that is like desperately needing that. Like there's something in me that, I'm like becoming, I don't know, somewhat obsessive about this or something um, to the point where like even in those boundaries that are seemingly harder to create of just like, okay, like I, let's chat about something else. Let's, you know, um, put some limitations on those things as well uh, because it is so all consuming for both my lifestyle and my husband's lifestyle or, um, or a lot of my friends' lifestyles that it's easy to uh, to kind of get on those rabbit trails over and over again, even when you're taking a break. And so, um, mm-hmm. 
yeah, I think something that's not as easy to name, but making sure you have other interests and conversations outside of hobbies. Yes. So for me in those spaces, like I like to go to my workouts. I like, I have a counselor that I see regularly and, um, I like to take Mondays to really just recharge in different ways. And so I will do obviously some admin stuff for work, but also making sure like I'm worshiping just to worship on my own. Um, not for the sake of what I'm going to do on a Sunday or, um, yeah, taking those things Mm. as well. Those kind of three categories of like physical, mental and Mm. spiritual. So this next quote is from Rebecca Lyons books, rhythm of renewal. She says, rest precedes blessing. We don't have to run to earn rest. We run fueled by a posture of rest. Um, and this is, referencing um like the garden of eden and so you know the seven days of creation the sixth day man and woman are made and then the seventh day god rests meaning the first thing that adam and eve are invited into is rest and so um this is what she means by rest precedes blessing because god didn't require Adam and Eve to do X, Y, and Z before they deserved this rest, which is, I think, how we often think about it. But they were invited into rest first. So um, why do you think that is? I think it's a reminder that we're human beings, not human doings, that our worth isn't dependent upon what we do or produce or bring out or bring forth, that our worth is dependent upon being made in the image of God and starting with rest reminds us he's God and we're not. It also helps us, on a practical note, operate a lot more healthily. This is not the point, but it also makes us more productive. Yeah. But that's not the point. I want to be clear to say that. But I think it, it, it invites us into a posture of like worship, of remembering who God is, remembering who we are, and also remembering who we are not. We're not the creator. We're not the sustainer of life. We're not the one who spoke all of creation into being. But he does love us. Yeah, definitely. I, th- I mean, I think you nailed it. So I don't know if there's anything else to say about that. Um, but yeah, just reiterating that point that like we don't have to work to rest but I also think this control that we were just talking about like releasing that control and realizing that like we're being invited into a world that God is already actively working in and ordering and um creating and so we get to be participants in that but it doesn't depend on us um to keep going and to work the way it needs to work Um, so that's kind of transitioning us into this scriptural response. So I wanted to look at a few different scriptures here. Um, so the first one is Psalm 127 2. It says, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil for he gives to his beloved sleep. So, um, First of all, what feeling or thoughts come up when you ponder this imagery of eating the bread of anxious toil? Yeah, I think first, I mean, just 
noting some of these things like this are like general principles. That's not saying there's never a time to wake up early or go to sleep late. <laughs> um, was the first thing that popped into my head, which I know does not have to do with the imagery of eating the bread <laughs> of anxious toil. Uh, but the second thing that popped in my mind was the contrast between uh, that and uh, the instructions that Jesus gave to the disciples about how to pray, uh, which the later part was, give us this day our daily bread. And that daily bread being contrasted with this bread of anxious toil. Hmm. Um, and so I, I think also this idea that, that comes to my mind is that we are feeding on a lot of things that just contribute to our overwhelming feeling of anxiety. Yeah. And so the thing that is we're going to to sustain us, while it seems like bread, and it is bread, it's a bread of anxious toil. So what it actually does is does the opposite of what it says it will do. Rather than sustaining us, it makes us more tired. Mm. And so I, I think with that, like, we need to be mindful of, like, not just food, but, like, I mean, food too. What is it that we're consuming? And is that actually even filling us with the thing that we need? Or is it falsely promising something and or under-delivering what it promises and then making us need more and more and more and more of it? And we become addicted to this bread of anxious toil. And then we wake up early, stay up late, never sleep. Um, and God's blessing here is sleep, daily bread, things that will actually sustain you for life. Yeah. Yeah, this is a common theme we see all throughout Scripture. Um, don't be anxious about tomorrow. And, yeah, that daily bread that we constantly are reminded of when we think about the Israelites and that the literal manna that was coming down from heaven mm. every day and the way that they weren't allowed to hold on to it because it would just rot. And so it was for that day and that day only. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think even back to our prayer practice that we, we talked about in the last few episodes, but how there are these daily bread prayers that I've been really thinking about in my own life. And um, like, how do I pray for today's bread and not be so consciously worried about like several things down the line in the future, but my daily bread for today, um, because you don't know what every day is going to hold. You don't know what any day is going to hold. And so asking for today and keeping that presence of mind and that presence of spirit, um, I think allows you to drop some of that anxiousness Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, prepare you for holding what today is going to hold because it might be a lot um, Mm -hmm. or it might not be, but yeah. um, Yeah. Um, I think it also like points like this is found in the Psalms. And so I think it's easy to think that this is an, our society problem. This is our, uh, our world's problem of this, like being so busy and technology and all this stuff. But this was in the Psalms before any of that was even taking place. So obviously this, what this has, this is a human problem throughout, throughout all of humanity, not just, um, our, this time and place problem. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 is the next scripture we're going to look at. And it says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, um, 
What is an easy yoke? Excellent question, Carly. <laughs> I got an eye roll. Uh, it's to be expected. I heard a pastor in Vancouver talking about this passage named Daryl Johnson, and he said we see a couple things in this passage. Uh, one, that the essential verb of discipleship is come, and then the essential noun is me. Mm. Jesus, and who is that for? It's for all who labor and are heavy laden, all who are weary and exhausted, all who are tired and broken, all who are in desperate need of something, someone, <laughs> are worn out, and I will give you rest. And this language of yoke would have been a contrast to a yoke of other uh, rabbis, like the yoke of the law, um, of the Old Testament mm. law. Um, and what's noteworthy about a yoke is that it was typically used for oxen to help them uh, do their work. Taking the yoke of Jesus upon you uh, is not a, I'm no longer going to work. It is a different way of operating mm. entirely. And, and so I think, too, what's noteworthy, he pointed this out, that it says, take my yoke upon you. Whatever yoke that Jesus is referring to there is the yoke that he himself takes upon himself. Mm. It's his way of operating. It's his way of living, which is this, like, uh, we see elsewhere, I believe, um, as well, like, it's this deep, intimate connection with the Father, like this closeness, this relationship with God. And going back to that essential verb, come to me, right? Um, that it stems from like coming to Jesus, this relationship with God, like to take his yoke upon us, I, I think is a reference to like participate in life with God and like everything centers back, points back to Jesus, the relationship with the triune God that his like this relationship of love that exists between the members of Trinity like grafts us in into this relationship with him. Um, and then out of that love, like an overwhelming love, then we we work. Um, and the rest in our souls comes, yes, from practices like Sabbath, but also the rest Jesus promises is also in the like his way of being in relationship with God that transcends your nine to five too. That sounds very beautiful. So what does it mean to actually do that? What are your first thoughts? This is a image that I come back to a lot, but just a simple thing of holding things tightly or letting them go, holding things tightly or letting them go. And I think it's it's that same Garden of Eden imagery that we were talking about being invited into resting in his presence and a lot of the spiritual practices that we talk about and like how to reconnect with the life of Jesus and what do the things that Jesus did mm -hmm. um, is about like reordering my lifestyle to actually mimic that of Jesus. And this question of like, what would Jesus do if he were Carly? How would he live his life? Um, this life is is a really interesting question to ponder, but it is just a constant like releasing of what I feel like I'm trying to control. Mm. Um, because I think all control is illusion is an illusion and it's keeping us trapped in a lot of ways. Um, and I think, you know, when we think about the church and we think about just, 
how much programming there is or you need to go to X, Y, and Z class so that you can learn how to become a disciple and you can, um, you know, be involved in this, 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 this. Like, I don't think that that's actually something that maybe Jesus wants for us. Mm -hmm. And so it's really like, how do I, how do I commune with the father and, and live a life of light and rest so that wherever I go, I can carry that with me. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I think it was worth, you know, with worth noting too, like this come to me and you'll find rest for your souls is not an invitation to a life without suffering. Hopefully you know that from listening to the podcast, but like, I think if also Jesus later uh, in the garden of Gethsemane, Lord, take this cup for me, but not my will, but yours be done. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it starts with like a coming to him, being with God in a posture of like being, I don't earn it. I don't have to do anything to get it. Like I just, I just start with like, I'm coming to you. And that's like you said, like all of me. Um, maybe that starts with God, I'm really stressed about work. Mm-hmm. Come to him with that. Bring it to him. Talk with him. And just like be there. Not necessarily an agenda. Just be there. Uh, I am really happy with this thing going on in my life. Bring it. Sad. Bring it. Um, and then going on to like, he promises that in that he will give you rest. And, and that image that you gave too, where it says, take my yoke upon you, reminds me that like I've had another yoke that I've been using. Um, and so I have to give that to him mm-hmm. if I want to take that. I don't just, I think it's easy to like think, okay, I'm going to keep doing my thing. Mm-hmm. And then now I'm going to take Jesus's yoke upon me. And now I'm going to add all these spiritual things onto my already oppressive yoke. And now all of a sudden, I'm going to feel rest. Oh man, Jesus's way is not working. Mm-hmm. Well, no, no, you just you, you might still have that other yoke attached to you, mm. um, and the removal of that yoke is really, I mean, if we're honest, more of an ongoing process of repentance, like changing of your mind, bringing it before the Lord, asking Him to help you, um, because it's become so ingrained in us. And I almost get this image of like if it's attached to your shoulders, it's like you've been carrying stuff on it. It's like way down in there, and so pulling it up sometimes revol- involves like. Sorry if this is graphic, but like removing of skin and like, um, but like it's painful, I guess is my point. Yeah. Like it, it's not just like, okay, cool. Here you go. Sometimes maybe, but oftentimes it's like, oh, this is uncomfortable. Um, Mm -hmm. And at times too, the image I get is like taking his yoke upon us, also putting it back in to those sort of places. It, it might take a minute to get adjusted and settle into it because it's a whole different, um, different pace. And then the, the next part, as far as practical things, it says, um, learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart or, um, humble and lowly or, um, gentle and humble. I can't remember the, uh, other versions of it, but like, yeah, learn how he lived his life. Learn how Jesus lived on earth. What were the things that he did? Embody those things. Um, take his practices upon you. Um, also that invitation to, to also be gentle and lowly or humble. Um, think that goes we'll talk about this with sabbath but also like helps helps you with helps me with pride um to remember that the world is not sustained by me um and i know that but like remember that my worth is not just found in what i do and that my worth is found in him and that regardless if i'm productive one day or not like the father loves me and enjoys spending time with me and so i take that yoke upon me and i try to learn from him which also means that as i'm learning i don't fully know it yet um so I'm learning to trust. 
Yeah. Okay, we have one more scripture. There's plenty we could say about all of these, but um, this is really just to give you an idea of like this is constantly talked about and and um in the life of a believer and and throughout scripture. So John 14, 27, this is Jesus talking. He says, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. So what does this mean? Like what kind of peace of mind and heart do you think Jesus is talking about? Hmm. Is that the section where he's talking about the Holy Spirit? Uh, I believe so. Okay. That would be my assumption. Uh, would be, because if I'm pulling it up right now. Yeah, verse 26. Uh, but when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. The peace I give is gift the world cannot give. Um, and then it goes on in verse 28. Remember what I told you, I'm going away, but I will come back. If you really love me, you'd be happy that I'm going to the father who is greater than I am. Um, yeah. So I think simply like the peace we're given is like the Holy spirit. And one of the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace. Um, yeah, I think it's this like, it's not a saying you won't ever feel anxious. It's not a saying life will be without hardship. Uh, Jesus also is going to experience great hardship after this. Um, but it is a saying of like, no matter what, no matter where you go, no matter what happens to you, no matter what people say about you or don't say about you, or if you're lonely or surrounded by people who love you, or both of those things, you will have, if you follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit, who is your peace of mind and heart. So think on those things and come to him. What do you think? Hmm. I should have seen that coming. <laughs> what, where I was going <laughs> to say the Holy Spirit? No, that you were going to say. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> um, I was thinking of what does it mean to have peace of mind? I don't know. The word that keeps coming to me is acceptance. Hmm. Um, wow. Because I think that is one, it's a, it's a large step of grief. Um, but I think in general that surrendering of control comes with an acceptance. It has to come with acceptance of the things you can't control and where you are in your life. Hmm. Um, and so I think even when you go through immense suffering, when there is this piece of like accepting, like this is the suffering I'm going through, there is sort of a peace of mind that comes along with that. Hmm. Um, and of heart, I guess. It doesn't mean that you like what's going on, obviously, or that you would choose it for yourself. But it is like hmm. I've stopped trying to think that I can control it. Um, yeah. Hmm. I think that seven piece is so big too, because right in 28, he says, I am going away. Yeah. So there's like, 
what's going to happen. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think that's wise. Acceptance. Yeah, you're going away, and now we have to do this thing without you? Like, you you just got here. You just taught us how to do this. You've um, just been doing this for three years, and mm. that's, that's all we had with you. And at least that's what I would be thinking. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then I think there's also this piece of, like, as a believer, learning to be in tune with the Spirit, which I think a lot of us – depending on what background you're from, are missing that piece. And so mm. it doesn't feel peaceful a lot of times when you can't tap into the living God inside of you um, or you don't know how to. Um, and so I think, mm. again, some of those, you know, when I think about silence and solitude or spending time intentionally being in the presence of God um, without requesting things without even really talking that's that's another piece of that prayer life we were talking about and so I think that that is the type of work it takes on our part the the Mm. work of the easy yoke of accepting who God is and sitting in his presence and then Mm. just yeah I keep as you're talking, I just, I'm getting getting this picture too of uh, I can't remember exactly where maybe it's Ephesians. Um, the war we face is not one of flesh and blood, but against principalities of the dark, and like going on about those type of things. There's this very much like kingdom of darkness versus kingdom of light, mm-hmm. uh, God's kingdom versus all the others. Uh, how is it that we find peace in war, mm. or like while there is real battle going on, battle for our our mind? battle for our heart uh, how do we find peace um while that is very much a reality and i think like you said it's like there's language in the psalms about like the lord being our refuge our dwelling place our um, sanctuary like under his pinions we will find a refuge i think that's psalm 91 um this image of like coming to him okay everything around me is yelling and screaming and loud and crazy and overwhelming and i'm overwhelmed and i've been beaten up and i'm hurting and okay, but I'm here, like, (laughs) you are my peace of mind and heart. I don't feel it right now, but that's you. And so I'm going to clink. Yeah. I think often what we see, too, in those times of literal war that David was entering into so many times in the Psalms is like he did, and what we see Jesus doing as well is withdrawing from Mm -hmm. those places. And something that's so beautiful about David and his prayers and the Psalms is just like, you can see that intimacy that's there, that time that he has spent out in the fields with his creator. Um, and he's so gifted in so many different ways, being a warrior and, a, a liar player. And I'm assuming he sang too, and obviously a beautiful writer. And so those places of giftings that the Lord gave him, he used those giftings to connect with God outside of this warrior piece that was mm. like work constantly. And I can't even imagine like the battles that he was constantly having to mm. go into and literally fight. And so um, learning from that and realizing that like whatever our battles are that we're facing, the things that cause us exha- exhaustion and, and pain, um, finding ways to withdraw and yeah, 
to find those green pastures where we can say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not mm. want. So. Yeah. I guess that's really all we have for today. So there we did. We did it. We solved busyness. No. Um, I think you can tell from how we were talking about this that it is a constant battle and I think something that you have to constantly take restock of your life and constantly saying like you know we have to have some unit of standard or measurement for whether or not something that you're actively participating in your life is actually something that you should be spending time and energy on Mm. um or multiple things or your family members or um whoever you're responsible for so That's all I got for today. So join us next week or next time um, as we talk about the cultural relevance of busyness. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Look for the Lego man.